People Plus Work Connect is one of the highlights of my career. We, within 10 days, stood up a most viable product, lovable product version of a website application, basically, where HR leaders and team members could go and post where they had workers that were being furloughed or laid off. And then companies could also post where they were hiring. And we used a common nomenclature for the type of worker using some standards so that it would be easy to go in and search and find. And so we created a virtual community for HR leaders to connect at speed versus emails going around saying, I'm going to furlough you know, 10,000 people next week. Are you hiring? There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but an opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever, and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm Meredith Bodgis, lead editor of TopTel's thought leadership publications. And here with me today is Christy Pambianchi, Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Verizon. Welcome, Christy. Thank you, Meredith, for having me. It's great to be here and, and welcome to the audience. So first, could you please tell us how you came to be Verizon's CHRO? I studied labor relations at Cornell because I realized growing up how much my dad's job and his work affected our family and his life. And so coming out of the studying of labor relations, I went to work at Pepsi-Cola and I worked as an employee relations representative, and I loved it. But at the end of uh, 10 years, the internet revolution started to happen, and I really wanted to get into technology. And so I moved to Corning, New York, and worked my way up over 20 years at Corning to be the head of HR there. Corning invented optical fiber, and my father had worked for the phone company, and I was really passionate about connectivity. So it was very exciting to me. I very purposefully chose Corning and I had an amazing time and built up uh, lots of capabilities in the workforce there, particularly on telecom and other industries that we were uh, building technologies for. And then the opportunity to be the head of HR at Verizon uh, came available. I have a massive passion for connectivity and the way in which it's changing the world. And we're on a precipice where Verizon is looking to grow through technology and innovation. And I felt like this was the right place for me at this time in my life and with my career and my capabilities to help Hans and the leadership team here, not only drive the transformation that Verizon could deliver to the world with our networks, but the culture and the talent transformation that we need to have in the company to support that. So you spent a decade at Pepsi-Cola and then two decades at Corning do you think HR managers should aim to get more of their workforce to do the same these days? You know, I am really a big believer in people working for companies that they feel a connection to the purpose and that will give them a level of fulfillment as an individual. And so I think if those things happen, it drives retention and it drives tenure. And I think not everybody can accomplish that in every company. So, you know, I, I don't think turnover should ever be zero, 
But I also think a company doesn't want to have itself be a revolving door where it doesn't have a stabilized workforce. And so I think figuring out an employee value proposition and how to help people grow and prosper with the company towards a common purpose is really an ideal state. Let's talk about the pandemic now. I would love to hear what you think the biggest challenges and surprises that the pandemic has presented to companies. A couple of challenges, obviously, was just how to operate our companies safely, how to keep our employees safe. But as it became clear that the pandemic was going to take a longer time, this wasn't a 12-week situation that was going to just evaporate. And that we actually now, here we are a year later, in a protracted alternative way of working situation that some of the normal business had to return. And so the challenges that presented themselves was first, how do you hire and onboard people virtually? How do you manage uh, intern cohorts? How do you think about promotions and employee development and sort of all of the regular business of human resources? I think some companies were more advanced than others in leveraging virtual interviewing for candidate selection but uh, or onboarding or other kinds of digital ways of doing that. But this crisis catapulted that uh, on an accelerated fashion. And now I think, you know, we've, uh, we've hired senior vice presidents. We've hired board members. We've run entire leadership forums. We had a, almost a 400-person intern class last summer that we conducted virtually. They literally never physically met with or came into a Verizon building. And many re- got offers and they've become full-time hires that will join us this year. And so to me, it's been so amazing to see the innovation that the HR community has pivoted and developed and the sharing that's happened cross-company. I think the HR community has really shown up saying, hey, here's what I'm doing with my interns. What are you doing? Hey, here's my program guide, the policy we already created for that. But did you do something for this? And so that's really, I think, been you know almost like an open source innovation cycle that's emerged in the HR community that I think is pretty cool. Like maybe we were secretly looking at all of our tech colleagues doing that and wishing we could do it. And this gave us the opportunity. So you mentioned the virtual internship program, and I'm very curious, have you already begun thinking about the summer 2021 virtual program? We have, and we made the decision that this summer 2021, we will have another class of virtual interns And so we're off recruiting a couple of hundred interns and we've got about half the class full and we're very excited about it. We know how to do it because we did it last year and actually our program was recognized as one of the best virtual intern programs. And we designed in a lot of high touch experiences and I say that in quotes, but we had every member of the senior leadership team have uh, an interaction with the cohort. We designed sessions for them together, some learning, as well as the assignments that they had. And in a lot of ways, may have created more connectivity among the cohort than when it was on site. How did you go about recruiting interns for it? And how did that differ from what you had done before the pandemic? So last summer, we had recruited our interns through our normal process in the fall. It was kind of pre-pandemic into the early part of their spring semester. So most students had accepted an on-site internship. And so in the, in the April, May timeframe, when it became clear that there were still shelter in place orders and that we were not returning to the office, we communicated to all of those interns that had offers that we would continue to honor their job offer, but it would be a virtual intern experience. And so they had the opportunity to accept or opt out 
and by and large, everybody accepted. This year, we've got our uh, regular college and intern recruiting websites active and the positions are posted. Folks can apply and they're being interviewed virtually. So now I want to talk about what I think is such an incredible project that you were instrumental in getting off the ground. And that, of course, is People Plus Work Connect. Could you please tell me how People Plus Work Connect helps people who have lost their jobs because of COVID get back to work? People Plus Work Connect is one of the highlights of my career, I just have to say. And you never know when an opportunity is going to present itself. But it did. And a number of CHROs were together very early into the pandemic, sharing best practices. And a few of us stayed on afterwards and said, gosh, you know, we, we were in these jobs in the financial crisis. And some of us were even in, in doing roles like this back during bird flu and swine flu and some other pandemics, Ebola. And we said, you know, let's do more. Let's do more than just share best practices. And let's create a scenario where we can rapidly cycle information among the HR community because it was it was and it now has proven out to be the largest disruption of the workforce since the great depression and so we talked among ourselves to say this is an HR crisis this is a human crisis the pandemic the ensuing economic collapse some economies approaching 30% unemployment this is like devastating so we um, got together for there were four CHROs Ellen Shook from Accenture, Pat Waters, and Lisa Buckingham at Lincoln Financial. And we said, what can we do? And we, within 10 days, stood up a most viable product, lovable product, version of a website application, basically, where HR leaders and team members could go and post where they had workers that were being furloughed or laid off. And then companies could also post where they were hiring. And we used a common nomenclature for the type of worker using some standards so that it would be easy to go in and search and find. And so we created a virtual community for HR leaders to connect at speed versus emails going around saying, I'm going to furlough you know, 10,000 people next week. Are you hiring? And you're only getting that email if you're somebody that that HR leader knows. We wanted to break through all those barriers. And it's free. It was free to everybody in the community. And we have... Over 400,000 instances on the platform of either jobs available or talent available. And it's a pretty even mix. We've also went global uh, four weeks after launch. And so we're in almost every country in the whole world. And it's, it's just been this amazing kind of rally of the HR community saying, how can I make aware what are the jobs? How can I make aware of the talent pools? We're also doing community things inside the platform. So HR leaders are able to get um, access to master classes with senior or retired CHROs that can just help them talk through questions and answers they have about how do you manage in a crisis? How do you manage major shifts in your workforce? How do you build a network in the community? I imagine there are so many success stories that have come out of this. Can you share one that sticks out to you? Oh, we have so many, but one that sticks out to me in particular was an early success with Nestle. They were one of the early members to join the platform and they were hiring and they were able to add uh, 600 people to their talent community, people that they keep in a network that they're trying to recruit. And they were able to translate that to uh, 70 positions that they filled at a pizza processing factory. And they were able to do that in less than 45 days. 
they had a business spike due to the pandemic. They were on the platform, they had built a talent community, and they were able to turn that into 75 hires quickly. I think my children contributed to that business spike in frozen pizza consumption (laughs) (laughs) during the pandemic. (laughs) One of the things we also found was for companies that are hiring, they often have an entry point into their hiring process. And so for companies displacing talent, we help them build microsites where they could put the access links for any of the companies they found on the platform that were hiring. So they could give to all of their furloughed or laid off employees access to that microsite that they're able to populate as an HR team from being in the platform. And so the team at Verizon built the microsite and kind of put it up there in the community, almost like a add water mixer, there's your brownies. So every company that had to potentially displace uh, was able to quickly ramp up a microsite based on the knowledge they've gleaned from the platform. So lots of great examples of companies working together to just basically simply get people back to work, which is what our goal is. Well, we are so grateful for Verizon's efforts and the partner company's efforts because you have put people back to work. And I saw that People Plus Work Connect offers companies a new way to determine who might be right for a specific role. Are companies looking for previous experience with a specific role Or are they looking for the skills that can be applied to a variety of roles? And if it's the latter, how do you think that shift in thinking is going to help companies recruit and hire talent in the future, even after the pandemic? I think it was something that was already a trend that was happening before COVID, but this situation really exacerbated it. And I think there's changes that are really here to stay. I think often companies have been recruiting for a job, a job title, and specifically looking for talent that have either exactly done that role in the past or something very similar. And I think what we see emerging is much more of a skill-focused labor economy because there are jobs that have transferable skills to other jobs that may not be intuitive. For example, somebody could be working in retail at a a home goods type store, but they may also be an electrician and or be you know interested in, in taking all that knowledge into a business development role. And so we started to uh, really focus in on skills and get the members of the platform to think beyond the job title and start to build out what are the skills that you're looking for and think about what skills a company may be making available in that labor market that can pivot into companies' needs. You know, one of the things we're really trying to do is remove friction in the labor market and make all of those movements in the labor market faster and seamless. And that's another thing I think that will do that. And why I think the skill economy concept is really relevant as we think about the future of work, even in a world post-COVID, is the technology in the world and the way that business is evolving. It's, It's evolving so quickly Jobs change really quickly. And what's at the core of it is skills. And so kind of beginning to build a mindset that all of us have to be constant learners. We have to constantly think about what skills do we have in our toolbox? What ones are we adding? What ones are we refreshing? What ones might we be retiring from our portfolio of skills? And that's going to be something as people potentially have, you know, 40 or 50 year careers, right? Think about that as longevity goes into the 80s plus and people start working at, 18 to 21 years old, you could be working 30, 40, 50 years. I'm, I'm working 32 years and I, I have a you know plan to work at least another 10. So, I mean, it's just a really interesting concept. And I think the skill economy will really serve well. I think another thing that we're trying to tackle as a society, and we see and hear a lot about this now too, is access and gaps 
where companies have maybe previously had these stringent requirements. It's like you have to have this kind of degree or this many years of experience in this exact job or you can't apply. It kind of blocks a whole swaths of the economy, of the labor economy from, from participating in those jobs. One of the things we're also focusing on is how if people have the skills, let's give them access to the jobs. And so I think we'll see a lot more about that over the next few years. And that was sort of a compounding of both the economic crisis brought on by COVID and then the follow-on of all of the racial justice crisis that really brought to light the fact that many parts of our economy and our country still don't have equal access, whether it's to jobs or housing or education or healthcare. And so as we attack that, you know, really getting underneath that and saying really what matters is skills and um, interest in learning and acquiring those over time. So I think the skill economy is probably going to be something focused on a lot for the next decade. And can you tell me about what Verizon is doing outside of the company to help upskill workers? For Verizon, we've launched something called Citizen Verizon, which really captures what is our perspective on our social responsibility. We think it's really important to have a view of all of our stakeholders and serve all of our stakeholders, whether it's our customers, our investors, our employees, or society. And so in particular, on the societal front, we're very mindful of the fact that our technology is driving a significant advancement in the world. We're very excited about that. At the same time, we want to also contribute to the skilling of the world to participate in the digital economy. So we, in partnership with Generation, have made a $44 million donation for that to be um, used to train 500,000 people outside Verizon on new skills required for the digital economy. And what about internally? How is Verizon upskilling and reskilling its core employees? Upskilling is a huge focus for us inside Verizon. We're really trying to build a culture inside the company where people view themselves as constant learners, kind of never done. And we're leveraging our learning platforms and we have a portal And all employees can go into the portal and they can see all of the opportunities available for them to take skill classes or take courses to develop their capabilities and learn new skills. Inside of our IT function, which we call our Global Technology Services Team or GTS, we've started a significant transformation. And to support their continuous learning culture, we launched 83 role-based learning plans in 2021. And we currently have over 3,500 people that are currently involved in at least one course on that learning journey. And so we've begun another effort to launch something called Talent GPS, which is sort of a catalog of all of the roles that we have in the company organized by job family. So you might have an HR job family or a commercial job family or an operations job family. Inside that, there's sort of subgroupings all the way down to roles. And then in each role, you can see what are a couple of the major expectations and the skills and competencies. Very high level, but it then guides you to say, if I want to do that role, here's the skills I would need to acquire. And it will ultimately take you to the learning portal to figure out how to go and acquire those skills, whether it's through on-the-job experience, a lot of learning happens on the job, or through some online learning or some classroom learning to augment on-the-job experience. So we want to really unlock all employees' ability to see what's kind of the universe of roles that we have available, how are they organized by job family, what are the skills and competencies, and then have that go into this learning portal and really drive this exciting culture. You know, 30 years in in HR, one of the things I think is something we really have to attack is 
seeing development as a weakness, right? Often through performance reviews and performance planning in the past, people would always have, here's your strengths and here's your development areas. And and there's a little bit of shame or people feeling badly about that. Like, oh, that's something I'm not good at. I have to get better at that. Versus a framework of, in a world where technology is changing every two to three years, nothing is staying the same. We all have to be constant learners. And that should be something we're really proud of and excited about. And we see all of that as an investment in ourselves by our companies. And so we're we're going to continue to focus on that because that's a top priority for us inside the company as well. And we have literally thousands of learners and hundreds of thousands of hours of training classes completed a year. But I really want to see a world emerge where that's like a badge of honor that people are really excited about. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And there are certain economies around the world where employees value training more than compensation in many of the countries in, in Asia, for example. And so I'm hoping we could bring some of that here into uh, the United States mindset as well. I'm thrilled to hear about that shift from having the skills to developing the skills and becoming a company that teaches people the skills that they need to pursue the paths that they want. So uh, kudos to Verizon for doing that. And if the pandemic was the catalyst for that, I'd be curious to hear what else has the pandemic caused Verizon to rethink? What other silver linings are there to this? There's a lot of silver linings we're trying to capture right now when we're thinking about as you know, we see the vaccine rates increase and the COVID case rates decrease, we can begin to see a future where normal workplaces can be reopened, so to speak. But we don't want to just go back to what we were doing a year ago because there's so many other cool things that we learned along the way. So we're thinking about what are the roles that can be done permanently from home? What are roles that need to be done on-premise, on a work site? And what are roles that can be a hybrid? And we're really trying to figure out how to do that so that we can have that be another source of value of having a career at Verizon. So there'll be more flexibility in ways of working, where people work, how people work together. But we want to strike that balance with how do we retain our culture? How do we retain that purpose-driven organization and the bonds that our employees have among themselves? So I think we're, we're doing work to say, when you're on site together, that's a premium now. Like once, now that we couldn't have it, once you can't have something, you value it. It's like, wow, I took for granted the fact that I got to maybe have lunch with some coworkers every day and not only do work with them, but have other ways in which we connected. So we're trying to figure out and put a framework around what are the things that are are really high value that we want to make sure our teams can be together and on site leveraging that. And what are the things that make a lot of sense for people to continue to do remote or what meetings make sense to have virtually? And another silver lining is, I think before, um, it was hard to manage distributed teams. And especially if 80% of the team is in one place and a few members are remote. So we got a lot more etiquette and a lot more learnings about how to do this. Finally, for us, I think we're thinking about, we had digital roadmap transformations and office-based transformations that this just accelerated. Like it pulled it like 10 years forward. So we're going to try to keep uh, capitalizing on that. But we came out with flexible schedules, part-time schedules with benefits. People have hybrid jobs. They might be doing telesales a few days, customer service a few days. And we probably would not have had those things at scale had we not been forced to pivot. And we had 115,000 of our folks working remote or doing their jobs in different ways at the outset of the pandemic. So 
have a lot that we hope to carry forward. I think society does too. You know, we have these visions of telemedicine or digital and remote learning. And many of our companies, ours included, have been trying to advance these concepts. And, you know, I run benefit plans, you know, so we've been promoting telemedicine concepts for a number of years for a variety of reasons. Many communities in our country actually lack access so there actually aren't the specialists. People can't get to the, to the type of experts that they need. But there was like a real reluctance to, is it the same? Examples like that, like it exploded. There's a lot of silver linings that we're, we're hoping to take out of it and also share and learn from other companies that are doing it. Even with these incredible silver linings, we can't deny that this is a time of lots of change and instability. How would you say companies can help their employees, both full-time and contract, with navigating times of change and instability? I think the first thing in times of change and instability that can't be underestimated or emphasized enough is constant communication. And I think for us at the earliest days of the crisis, we immediately put up a COVID webpage and started a daily broadcast to all of our employees and said every time, go to the COVID webpage. That'll be one source of truth. There'll always be updates there. And we'll be back every day to talk to you, to keep you posted on what's happening. And that has proven to be so valuable to our employees, their families. We put it out on our public webpage. I have people write me that says, I have lunch every day with my daughter and you weren't on up to speed today. Where's Christy? How is she? So it served as this just in the instability, in the middle of the crisis, that constant communication from the leadership of the company really helped our employees. So I think first and foremost, no matter what, communication can't be underestimated. I think there were other things that proved really difficult. So with society closing, schools closing, daycare centers closing, hospitals and medical uh, system basically closing unless you were a COVID patient, that, you know, that created a lot of challenges for our employees, for the families, even like no ability to visit family members that were in long-term care facilities. So for folks dealing with elder care. So there was like a lot of pain and emotional pain on, on our employees un, unrelated to work. And so we, we did a lot of things to try, in addition to just constant communication, to make our workplace as flexible as possible so that people could both continue to work and deal with the crisis. One big area we leaned in on immediately was the whole issue of how do you help employees keep working when all the school systems and daycare centers are closed? So we came up with backup daycare benefits. We had them pre-pandemic, but we took off all the caps. And we added massive amounts of flexibility because all the providers we had ran out of providers. <laughs> so we created <laughs> the whole framework and we started running ourselves an entire backup daycare ecosystem. And then we also, if all else failed, created a childcare leave that people could take leave, continue to be compensated, much like on a short-term disability type structure. We also relax a lot of the guidelines around working from home. Our prior working from home program stipulated that you had to be only working and not be doing caregiving at the same time. And obviously in the pandemic, we said, no, 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 no. If you can stay connected to work, we recognize that there could be other distractions going on right now. We wanted people to be able to work because we also thought in this crisis, having a lifeline to your job, your coworkers, your purpose, feeling um, that you were contributing in the crisis was something we thought was really important. I think another thing we tried to do was just share stories and really lean in on being empathetic. 
everybody experiences crisis in different ways. Some people had underlying conditions and were, were, were very concerned about contracting the illness. We have some people that lost loved ones. We had people that were really just struggling with the stress of the whole situation. So we really leaned hard on, let's be empathetic. Let's make sure that's what we're leading with and that we're giving all of our employees the benefit of the doubt and get through this as a team. Like this is a collective problem that society has. We actually will only get out of the pandemic if we work together, like wear masks, use hand sanitizer, wash our hands, avoid large groupings. Like it can't work if just one person does that. Everybody has to do that. And similarly, we felt like we're going to be able to keep the company operating at standard if we all help each other and lean in a little more each way, recognizing that the pandemic was affecting everybody differently. And we got so much positive feedback, even employees that didn't need to take advantage of any of these benefits. They were just glad to know that we cared enough to do it. And they were happy to help their coworkers that needed extra help. So it was really for us, I think, and it continues to be just a super moment of humanity at its best. The pandemic has hit women, specifically working mothers, especially hard. Can you tell me how Verizon is stepping up for women and what you believe is important to help women in the workforce thrive? Well, first, I think the opening point is so significant and, you know, in a lot of ways saddens me. You know, I started working in 1990 when there was, you know, less than 10% women in the industrial sector. And I remember being the only female in the six plant and distribution centers that I covered as an employee relations rep and calling my professors. I was the only female manager. There was one secretary in each location that had like 10 jobs. She was the receptionist. She also settled and was cashier at the end of the day, handled all the phones, managed any administrative support for the entire facility. And then I rotated among six locations. And those women that were the one at the location were so glad I was there. They were like, oh, thank God you're here now. Does this mean there's a chance for women in management? And that was 1991. And to me, that's amazing that that was still the state of advancement of women in the industrial sector in 1991. And I really wasn't prepared for it. So over the 30 some odd years, it's changed dramatically. There's a lot more women participating in the workplace. More than 50% of college degrees are going to women. And yet the pandemic has came and literally has set us back by some of the academic experts into like the 1989 timeframe, which was even worse than what I just described. So it saddens me. I just have to say as, as, a, as a woman, as a working woman, as a mom for my daughter, who's, who's 17, how do we get that recovery on track to be a, you know, a 12 to 24 month recovery, not a 30 year recovery? I think ways to do that will be first, let's accelerate continuing to follow COVID protocols, get everybody vaccinated and get society reopened. That'll bring schools back online, daycare back online. So that'll be an immediate. But I think we have to look at the fact that we actually really did not have a very strong infrastructure around childcare. We don't have good benefits around it. We don't have a strong infrastructure around it. Most communities don't have pre-K through the public school system. So families that may or may not have the means to provide care for their children before five years old don't, and they're relying on family members. Maybe they're relying on a parent, but due to the pandemic, it might not be safe for children to be around grandparents. And so there was just this like collusion of five or seven things that highlighted this perfect storm of, we just do not have that right infrastructure. And so when I was a young working mom, 
I was the first person in both sides of my family to put a child in daycare. And I would say there was a fair amount in both sides of my family quietly like, wow, what a bad mom. What's going to happen to those kids in daycare? And daycare is awesome, right? There's amazing companies that run daycare centers. The people that work in daycare centers are trained. There's standards. These are uh, facilities that are audited and they're teaching and they're doing education. And I learned a lot as a mom, you know, they would teach me things when I came to pick my children up and I met other moms and dads and my husband did as well. And our kids socialized. So I think one of the things we have to really figure out as a society is why don't we have pre-K start at three in the public school systems? Why don't we have a much more robust and affordable developed daycare center and systems around the country? And while, you know, Corporate America is doing a part for our employees in a lot of cases. That's not really addressing segments of the population like the small business sector, which which obviously doesn't have the kind of means that big companies do to provide those kind of support for their employees, which means we need affordable solutions in society that everybody can have access to. So we have that in common, that we are both working moms who had to balance working from home while parenting virtual learners during the pandemic. That was not easy. (laughs) But I was so inspired by a LinkedIn post that you had written about dyeing your hair pink to lift your daughter's spirits when she was feeling down about starting her senior year amidst the pandemic. I'd love to know. How did colleagues and peers respond to a CHRO with pink hair? And what message do you hope that show of support sent to other HR managers? You know, it was so fun. My daughter, I have four children, three boys and a girl, and she was starting her senior year and we moved when she was a junior. So she had about a semester where she made some new friends before the pandemic hit. And so it was a pretty isolating experience for her and my son, who was in seventh grade at the time. And so over the course of the summer, we were continuing to be isolated. And I I will admit pink is our favorite color. And so why not? I'm working from home. I'm in my home office. I'm on screen all day. And I probably never had the courage to do it before. And so I did it. And she was so excited. My girlfriend, who'd been my hairdresser for like 20 years, did it for me. And I didn't really expect the outpouring on the post. But it just showed how many people were feeling either bottled up or isolated in the pandemic. And they wrote like, that's so cool. I can't believe you did that. I love it. And so for me, it was just, you know, something fun that a little more racy than I maybe normally would. And I just think so many of our kids are isolated. I know for us as adults, we, you know, have a lot of coping mechanisms. We've already developed our social skills and our social infrastructure in our life. But for for children... I think that it's a pretty lonely experience. So we've, we've done a lot to promote mental health awareness. We've done a lot to promote reaching out and staying connected. And I think that's, that's really continues to be one of the tragic side effects that COVID has brought on. And so I can't underscore enough trying to do some of those fun things that bring back a little bit of what maybe would have been a chit chat in a sidebar in the office or an opportunity to share a joke with somebody or talk about a movie that you saw or a concert that you went to. I mean, literally none of those experiences aren't there. People aren't together. It's been very isolating. So yeah, it was really fun. Can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us today. And if somebody wants to get involved with People Plus Work Connect, what should they do? They can just Google that, People Plus Work Connect, and it'll come right up and follow the link and it will tell you uh, how to get involved. Excellent. Christy, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Meredith Bodkiss. You can find much more information about The Talent Economy on staffing.com and toptal.com slash insights, hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.